Hey there. All Latino is taking a break from making new shows for a bit while we regroup for the upcoming year. But that doesn't mean that we'll leave you without some great content from All Latino's extensive inventory of interviews. We'll be taking a deep dive into our archive and pulling out some of our favorite coverage throughout the years. Enjoy. The man is gone. Hey, everybody. My name is Cass Pizzato, and I'm the intern for the All Latino Podcast. For the last week of Women's History Month, I've decided to take over the pod and showcase interviews from some of my favorite coverage of women artists over the years. As a young Latina with a passion for Latin music, All Latino has made me feel represented across genres that I love that I never really got to see myself in. It has connected me to the mujeres across the globe that are killing it in the music game. And I'm so excited to share some of my favorite coverage of these women with you today. All right, all right. First up, I'm transporting you back to 2015 to hear from an interview Felix and his former co-host Jasmine Garst did with notable Cubana vocalist duo Ibei. Ibei is made up of twin sisters Lisa Cainde and Naomi Diaz. The conversation takes a bunch of beautiful twists and turns, so be prepared to be absolutely mesmerized. Without further ado, here's that interview with Ibei. We are a mix of culture. We, we, we grew up between Paris and, and La Habana in Cuba. Okay, hold on. Because the audience can't see us, why don't you identify yourself first? Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm Lisa Cainde. And I think the music is the reflect of what we are. So it mixed itself alone. It just yeah. came out like that. Do you spend a lot of time in Cuba? Uh, we're going once a year. It's home. I mean, personally, I have to go once a year. Because it's otherwise I feel bad. And, and you sing in Yoruba, French, and English. How do you choose what language to sing in? And why not in Spanish so much? Um, I think that's the same that came really naturally. Uh, our first songs ever were in English. And um, and then I started try. Uh, we, we started writing in, in Spanish and French, but it's not good enough. Um, so we have to work on those. But uh, hopefully we will be able to sing in Spanish because it's beautiful, and in French too. So which so your your dominant languages are French and English? French, French Spanish. and Spanish. But you, can, you haven't done the Spanish song yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. English is not perfect. Yeah. Our English <laughs> is not perfect at all. It but depends good. on the days. Some days it's good and some days it's really really bad. <laughs> but the thing is I I don't I, I think it's because we've been we we listened to lots of American and English music uh -huh. growing up. So when we started composing, it just came in English. Okay, ladies, let's hear another track from your playlist. Toxic, best cover of this song I've ever heard in my oh, life. Yes, that is a great cover, oh my God. actually, because that's a great song. That <gasps> is the Britney Spears song yeah. that, that everyone song should listen to. That song is a masterpiece. Yeah, that song is a masterpiece. I don't know who wrote that song, but they are crazy. The, and she did, three, I love this cover. Covers are the best, and when they are really well done, they are like magical. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. 
Covers are really important. I love people that cover、uh, songs that they love because you can really take it in some in another place. And this is so interesting. And I think music is about that too. Is about because people that say, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm unique. You know, I've never listened to other music. I've no, never been、on. inspired by other music." That's n- that's a lie,、Bullshit. basically, because you know, it's music. It's all about. Eating lots of different things and and doing a version of what you've ever heard, and、yeah. I do believe in that. So I thank every artist that I've listened to all my during all my life. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your album, which is called Ebay, like your band.、Um, there's this real like dark sadness to that record, I think.、Um, And when I've seen you live, it's very happy and celebratory.、Yeah. And can you tell me where you were、um, emotionally and mentally when you made that album? Well, we I, were, I think, really, really happy to、mm, do it. Yeah. No, I mean,、uh, the, it's not for us. It's not a sal- sad album at all.、Um, of course, there's some melancholia in it, but it's not at all sad.、Um, actually, we did it, and we we were enjoying it. Yeah, a, we were listening to a lot of.、Uh, Hip hop music, dancing. You know, <laughs> we did everything. We cried, we danced, we laughed. We we did everything during those four months. So it was. No, we were not sad at all. No, we no, were enjoying no. it. I I always found the album very melancholy. Yeah, there's yeah. There's some melancholy. That's true because because、uh, we're talking about sad, sad, sad subjects.、Yeah. But at the same time, I think um, um, yeah, our purpose is to give hope and to and 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 to say to everybody that of course we lost a lot of people that we love, but at the same times we are alive,、um, and we are happy to be here and we are doing something and we are making this album as an homage and reminding. Um, with with music, which is the best way ever to remind someone, and yeah, no, it's it's pure、um, hope and love for us more than melancholy.、Um, one of my favorite songs on that album is "Mama Says,"、yeah. um, and I have to tell you, the lyrics really made me very emotional, and the video too. And a lot of our listeners, when we announced that we would be speaking to you, wrote in asking about "Mama Says" and. Wondering what that song is about and what it was like making it.、Um, sometimes I feel like the melody, the melody, Mel- <laughs> and and the and the 
the first part of the lyrics came really, really quickly. Sometimes I feel that I didn't really wrote it, that someone just whispered it in my ears. And then we worked, of course, we worked um, on it um, for a long time because we wanted to get it really right. But um, it's, yeah, I just wanted to write a song for my mother. I don't, it's just, I just wanted to write a song for her. I think it was important. I think everybody um, needs a song, you know, and um, I really wanted her to have her song. So that was a snippet from the 2015 Alt Latino interview with IBEI featuring Felix Contreras and former Alt Latino co-host Jasmine Garst from the episode Twice the Fun with IBEI. Up next, we hear from a 2020 interview with the inimitable reina of reggaeton, Evie Queen, where Felix interviewed the reggaeton pioneer about her journey, musical influences, and her thoughts on how the genre has evolved over time. Talk about legendary, am I right? Okay, enough from me. Here's that interview with the iconic Evie Queen. My father, he passed away. He used to be a guitar player. So um, in Puerto Rico, we use a lot of, we call it trova, which is pretty much rhyming every word, but with a different type of music uh, in the background. It's, it's simply guitars. As I grew up, and my father used to like brag about his daughter, like she, she's a great trova, uh, trovadora, and um, I fell in love with music. And my father and my mother split; they divorced, and I ended up taking care of all my brothers and sisters. So the only time that I have to study was during the night. I couldn't stop um, thinking about words. About it, it was, it was kind of for some people crazy because all I hear in my head was different type of words, how to rhyme it. And, and at the same time, I use music to express the, what, I, what I was living, you know, even the painful of, of, of my father and my mother's divorce, the pain of trying to be a mother to my brothers and sisters. So I grabbed my book every night and I started writing my notebook so many songs that... Um, Basically, most of them were pure, uh, pure pain, you know, pure struggle. Wow. So um, I didn't pay much attention to the classes because for me, the, the way that the muse touched me is through my ears, like someone, someone is whispering words to me. So um, I, couldn't, I couldn't concentrate in, in the school because all I hear was, was words and how to put the words together and... And the pain of the divorce really, really touched me because I am the raising my brothers and sisters as I was the mom. So um, being a teenager and trying to raise them, um, it was hard. (laughs) So the foundation for your your rapping was done through Trova. That's interesting. Yeah. What about the earliest days? So we're going to move forward now to when you were participating in music and you're writing music and, and partnering with a, a DJ. Negro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what was happening in the music? Because it, was it always called reggaeton or was it called reggaeton later? I mean, what was going on with reggaeton in the earliest, earliest days? The earliest stage was uh, Spanish rap, which was controlled by Bico C, uh, Ruben DJ, Bruli MC, Kid Power Posse. They basically rap in Spanish. All of them have a record label under. 
So um, when the movements start to be fresh, we, we call it reggae, the Spanish reggae. A lot of the mixture come from Panama, and the Panamanians have a big, big influence in the way we, we come up with the Spanish reggae. She talks about how the earliest form of reggaeton was received or not received by the established Spanish-language record industry. No, no, they, they didn't. It, 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 took, it took time. It took time to the point that the music get like, it did get like viral. And then uh, we have uh, politicians talking about it. Very similar to the hip hop when they did it to NWA, that it was like they did it to Snoop and, and, and to ECE. The, the same thing happened to, to us. The, all of a sudden, it, the music is popping, and then the politicians started to talk about it. Oh, this music is, is degrading uh, the females. Look at the videos. Now they have videos, and the girls are coming out in the video like half naked. And that's when, when everyone pay attention to the music, to the scene, and that's when I felt offended because from the get-go, I was singing songs with such a message for the ladies, like, we are strong, we are this, we are that, and then the politicians started to talk about it, and we all end up in a TV show where they bring the, one of the politicians as a senator. She was a senator, rest in peace. She say, oh, they degrading the woman, blah, 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 so, so. So I tell her, wait, you, you haven't heard my music. If you heard my music, you will know that I'm different. It's like you're putting all the, the apples in the same basket. Usted está generalizando, that's what I tell her. And then years pass by and we end up being friends because we both love, love the sluts machine at the casino and we sat down close to each other and we became friends with years, then years later, because she understood I was bringing something different to the, to the scene. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Where do you think that comes from, from within you and your life and your, your earliest days and your background? Where does that desire or that, that drive to establish yourself in the amongst this sea of men and this music business to establish yourself and not use your sexuality to sell yourself, but your sexuality to establish yourself as an independent artist. Where does that come from? Growing up with my father at 12, singing deep, deep Bohemia songs with, with deep message, I, I, I didn't know nothing else, just like deep music, deep messages, messages of love, messages of, of heartbreaking messages also. So when I fell, I fell in love with Spanish reggae, I, I used it as an escape. It was my language to, to talk. I think the language that I use in my music is based on, on what I have lived. I have gone through so much the separation of my fathers, then I have to raise my brothers and sisters, then my brothers and sisters marry, then, then my brothers and sisters divorce. I become the therapist of the world, <laughs> of whoever is around me. So I basically use, as a muse, I use whatever people going through, inspire me. Even some of my songs are stories of other people and mine's included. The 2003 album Diva is the one that raised Evie Queen's profile among reggaeton fans and beyond, 
with a series of songs reflecting on female empowerment, including this one, Quiero Bailar. And the lyrics include, I want to dance, I want to sweat, and you want to get close and rub against me. And I say, just because we do that, that doesn't mean I'm going to sleep with you. A feminist flag planted firmly in a male-dominated society and industry by Evie Queen. Up next, she talks about one of her most successful albums, Drama Queen, which was released in 2010, an album that contains some of her most popular work, even as reggaeton as a genre, still struggled within the mainstream. Drama Queen in 2010, I dropped Drama Queen. I was signed by Universal. I was ruling the, the, the charts, also nine weeks of best-selling. And if you check the album, the songs on the album is like pure feelings, pure sentimiento. Like, it was like opening a personal diario, and I think that was one of my pick moment in the music scene. Like, all the ladies singing, I, I couldn't go to shop groceries. I couldn't go nowhere because I was recognized even by the salsa scene. That was like a prime moment in my life. So at 2010, I was pretty much everywhere. I was being recognized in todo lo genero, los salseros, los rockeros, everywhere. So then throughout the last decade, through the 2010 to like 2019, uh, you were consistently putting out music and still a very active and vital part of the scene. But as you looked at the music, how would you describe it as having changed? If you think about it in the last 10 years, how would you describe that change over the last 10 years? What's the story arc there? Did it, did it get more watered down as, the, as it became more popular? Till now, you mean? Oh, it's a big difference, honey. It's a big, huge difference. It's, 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 it's not reggaeton. It's, it's not pure reggaeton. It, it a lot had changed in the in the beats, in the lyrics. Is is like like now they don't take time to write. Is it's like repeating little phrases and a lot of music. It's it's, it's more pop. Is is I don't know what to tell you. Is is a huge change. I know that music supposed to go through an evolution. But then it's not reggaeton. It's like it's something else. It's 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 a mix. It's a mix. It's like you mixing a drink with your favorite beverage, I guess. Like, and there is people making reggaeton, but it's like an underground scene. It's like no, you gotta make. I call it. Popaton, pop with reggaeton, like you. No, you gotta sound like this. You gotta sound like that. You know, no, it's it's different. It's very different. It's very. I don't know if I should say the word Americanized or commercialized, but it's different. It's completely different. What do you think changed to the music itself to make it more acceptable or more mainstream? How do you see the changes? Is it? The rhythms are more simple. The rhymes are not as clever. I mean, what is it that made it more more acceptable, more mainstream? You hardly hear a song with a contents that will give a lady 
the pride to hear a song, to hear a man saying nice stuff to her. You hardly hear that anymore. And um, even to hip hop, the same stuff happened. So uh, if you're looking for context, you might find couple couple of songs that are properly uh, written and produced. But um, the music behind it, it might have the drums of reggaeton, but it's, it's like, like I said, they miss the drink with some juice and and it's, it's not pure, but it's out there. I guess if if that calls that we made it, well, we made it. <laughs> they can erase the story. The story is there. The internet is available so you can search for stuff. So, you know, it's like we get the punches and... and <laughs> And Floyd Mayweather get the the belts, you know? <laughs> a boxing metaphor. That's awesome. I love boxing, bro. <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> I forgot. I read that about you. I forgot that you're a big boxing fan. That's awesome. So am I, man. That was a snippet from the 2020 interview with Evie Queen featuring Felix Contreras from the All Latino episode, an interview with Evie Queen, reggaeton pioneer. Okay, so for this last spotlight, I'm going to throw it back to the not-so-distant past. Think 2021, which in some ways was just yesterday, but in other ways feels like forever ago. This episode was produced and hosted by All Latino's very own Ana Maria Sayer. I'm going to play you a snippet of this deep dive into the Latina instrumentalists carving out a path in the music industry amongst all of the challenges that are set out before women. I got to say, I love this episode because of how it's edited. Really take a listen to the voices of these artists and how they are the heart of this piece. Here's a snippet from that episode. Latin music well, pretty much all music, is dominated by men. So we know there's no shortage of challenges women have to go through to step out from behind the mic and make a name for themselves as instrumentalists. First up, let's meet Silvina Moreno, an instrumentalist and vocalist from Argentina, someone I met at South by Southwest a few years ago and whose knowledge of Argentine folk music really impressed me. Here's Silvina. Hello, I'm Silvina Moreno from Argentina. One of the challenges I've encountered as a female in this male-dominated industry is this subtle underestimation by certain men, or in some cases women as well, regarding mainly my musicality or my music business abilities. In an old-fashioned mentality, when you show up somewhere with a guitar, or any instrument for that matter, it is assumed that you either are not a very good instrumentalist, or that you have a male companion who will play your instrument for you, especially if you're a singer. I think it's funny when this happens, but sometimes I've been congratulated because I knew how to play guitar pretty well. And I've seen people go like, oh, wow, you're actually a pretty good player, meaning for a girl. And that's crazy to hear. So someone with a chauvinistic mentality can quickly assume that if you're a female singer, you probably don't know much about music theory or music history or how to play an instrument or the music business, for example. Women have to break break boundaries, they have to carve a path, right? They have to do what they have to do to, to be able to make themselves well-known and visible enough to be part of the industry. 
This is Professor Francis Aparicio speaking, a professor emerita of Spanish and Portuguese studies and the former director of the Latino-Latina Studies program at Northwestern University. She sat down with us to give us some more context on the history of female instrumentalism in Latin music. In other traditions, if you think, for example, about classical music, about orchestras, piano, vocals, most women are also seen mostly as singers. And so there seems to be less uh, participation of Latinas in the performing of instruments and particular instruments as such. So it's safer to have women play the piano. It's safer to have women train as classical musicians, right? Play in orchestras is not as safe to have women play the trombone, for example, in a salsa band coming from New York. So I think it is interesting to think through and think about what are those differences. And I think part of what I learned in, in my scholarship was that instruments also have social meanings. We also associate particular instruments with particular social classes, with particular communities, sometimes with geographical areas. And I think it is important to think, for example, if we think about the piano, so many young Latina women are training piano playing or in violin, right? Because those are sort of the two instruments that are more classic and they're safer for women, for young women. This is very much part of the tradition going back to, you know, 18th, 19th century. You think about women at home in the domestic sphere playing the piano because that was one of the few skills that they could learn. And it was beautiful. It was a thing to do for the señoritas. But again, that was not the same if you had them play the percussion. How come we don't have so many more women playing drums, right? Or doing the percussive elements in, in any kind of band or ensemble. So I think that there's something to be said about what instruments you're talking about and what is the lack of access or access to these instruments based on social tradition. Okay, next up, meet Cecilia and Hudi. She's a very talented guitarist who's subverting expectations using an instrument she loves with power and purpose. Hola, my name is El Hudi. I'm from Ecuador and I live in New York City. I'm a singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist and an activist. My favorite instrument is guitar, la guitarra. Navigating in the male-dominated music world has presented some obstacles over the years. In my experience touring internationally, let me share a situation that happens in just about every city and country I've performed in. You show up to soundcheck, it doesn't matter if it's a small venue or a big festival, and the sound engineer, almost always male, asks if I'm the lead singer. And I say yes, and then kind of looks past me and asks, who's the guitarist? And I say, that's me. Looks past me again and said, okay, who's the lead guitarist? And I say, that's me too. They're almost always a bit surprised, and then they get a little condescending and say, um, do you need help on how to use the amp and tell me what I need? So I turn that right around very professionally and tell them exactly what I need from them for my setup the way I like it. Then you proceed to let your solos do the talking. After sound check, attitudes in the room change drastically and I get the respect. The experiences of these women are varied and nuanced and shaped by a lot more than our expectations. Here's Melissa Aldana, a Chilean saxophone player, offering a perspective on what she feels has been a general absence of sexist obstacles in her career. Hi, everyone. This is Melissa Aldana. I personally feel I haven't encountered as many situations 
but also one of the reasons is because there has been very important female instrumentalist musicians that have paid the way for me to be here these days and not have to deal with these issues. At the same time, I'm very aware there is a lot of things that were normalized for me that are not, and I think that is one of the biggest issues that we're having these days. Here's the professor again, discussing the narratives we've lost and the ones we are taught to believe. I think it is important to recognize that that logic of exceptionalism for women is really not true, is not factually true, that in fact there have been a lot of women figures participating in Latino music or Latin popular music in all different types of genres and traditions, but that the historiography, the media, and pretty much the way we document this music has not given them, you know, their place, right, in in the map. And so what I find interesting, there's been a number of historical books now that are trying to recover precisely, you know, the the participation of women in Latino popular music. And my in my own work, I talked a lot too about the, the importance of La Lupe, who was uh, the Cuban singer too, who was a little bit more um, controversial, right? With, because of her performances, but who next to Celia really opened up also, you know, the, the spaces for salsa music to develop in the early years. The other thing I wanted to mention about, you know, different instruments and different social meanings to the instruments is that even if you have a particular instrument too that may be considered safe or neutral or, you know, uh, appropriate for women like the violin, if you're classically trained, I had a student, a former Latina student some years ago who actually was a wonderful violinist and she performed classical music. She was trained in orchestras in her, in her youth. And then when she came to college, she became a feminist and dismantled everything that she had been taught. And she found herself playing in a in a queer feminist multiracial group called Cabrona, which was a punk music. So she used her violin in the tradition of punk. And that was a very different type of performance that actually was more radical, more alternative, and it expressed who she was at the moment. So I think that we can't just say it's just the instrument, but it's also what do you do with that instrument, right? So that was a slice from the 2021 Alt Latino episode Women Are Instrumental to Latin Music, produced by All Latinos Ana Maria Sayer. It's evident that Latinas have faced multiple challenges, not only in terms of visibility, but in terms of access and equity in the spaces that they take up. But if there's one thing that all of these stories work together to showcase, it's that despite the challenges set before us, Latinas are going to find a way to make it work across all of the industries that we find ourselves in. That's it for this week's episode of All Latino. Special thanks to All Latino host Felix Contreras for letting me get on the mic this week to geek out about my favorite archive episodes featuring Latina musicians. This episode was produced by me, Cass Pizarro. Happy Women's History Month, y'all. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe out there, mi gente.